May I speak in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have no fear, little flock, for your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Jesus spoke these words of comfort to his disciples while on his prophetic journey to Jerusalem, where the events of his passion, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection would unfold. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem began after his transfiguration, that we remember each year at the Feast of the Transfiguration on the 6th of August in our church's calendar. That was, of course, yesterday. At his transfiguration, Jesus was revealed in glory, and he was confirmed as Messiah when the voice of God spoke, proclaiming, This is my Son, my Chosen. Listen to him. In chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, at Jesus' transfiguration, the three disciples who were accompanying him saw two men with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus' departure, the destiny he was to fulfill in Jerusalem. And in verse 51 of chapter 9, Luke goes on to write that at the time, as the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up to heaven, he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. Jesus' journey was to end with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that marked the beginning of Holy Week, as recorded in chapter 19 of Luke's Gospel. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem forms the central part of Luke's Gospel and includes some of his most memorable teachings and sayings. On this journey, Jesus shared his wisdom, his love and his compassion through his teachings, through his parables and his miracles. As the prophet who travelled towards Jerusalem, Jesus spoke the word of God. Some see this journey as a, para, as, para, as a parallel to Moses and his teachings in the book of Deuteronomy as he led the children of Israel to the promised land. While on this journey, Jesus faced growing opposition from the religious leaders of Israel and he also addressed the anxieties and fears of his disciples as they too experienced op opposition. And Jesus urged them to put their trust in God rather than in riches to remain firm in their faith, to be generous to those in need, and to be prepared at all times and ready for his return. Jesus addressed his disciples on courage as they became increasingly anxious, fearful as they faced uncertainty and the threat to their lives that would follow his looming crucifixion. Jesus also addresses each of us in our own moments of uncertainty and fear, and in the passage that precedes the Gospel reading for today, Luke shows Jesus filling us with hope with these comforting words. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Think of the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have no storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth far more than the birds. Think of the lilies, they neither spin nor weave, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was not attired like one of them. God cares more for us than for the birds of the air 
or the lilies of the field. Having given us the promise of his kingdom, we do not live in a world governed by chaotic chance, but a world governed by the gracious gift of God. We are called not to cling greedily, more tightly to material possessions, but to make metaphorical purses in heaven, spiritual purses that do not wear out, and never failing treasure in heaven, where no thief can get near it, no moth destroy it. Jesus assures us that we have already been given the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to encourage us to live our lives in awareness of this gift and in readiness for his second coming. The short parable he tells of the master returning from the wedding feast gives us an image of the coming of the kingdom of God, of his second coming, of the master who returns from a wedding party, urging his disciples to be ready at all times. Happy are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, Jesus says. Truly, I tell you, he will hitch up his robe, seat them at table, and come and wait on them. In this parable, Jesus gives another of his central teachings that for his disciples, the image of authority is one of humility and service to others. A reversal of roles entirely unexpected, especially at the hierarchical world of the time Jesus was born into. This reversal of roles of humble service to others that disciples are called to respond to closely parallels the account of Jesus washing the feet of the twelve at the Last Supper on Maundy Thursday, told to us in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, Jesus gives a similar instruction when he says to his disciples at the Last Supper, The greatest among you must bear himself like the youngest, the one who rules over, who serves. For who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the servant who waits on him? Surely the one who sits at the table. Yet I am among you, said Jesus, like a servant. Have no fear, little flock, for your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Faith in the kingdom of heaven heals us of our fearfulness. Our reading from the letter of Hebrews this morning begins with a helpful, helpful definition of faith. That faith gives substance to our hopes and convinces us of realities we do not see. Faith is not a substitute for knowledge or an alternative to knowledge. It is an indis indispensable aspect of all knowledge. And tradition in the Anglican Church recognizes this close relationship and we base our tradition on these two pillars, the pillars of faith and reason. Based on our understanding of faith and reason, how are we to respond to our Gospel reading this morning, the call for us to serve each other with love and with humility, the call for us to prepare ourselves and to experience without fear the Kingdom of Heaven both in this life and in the life to come, allowing us to pray with confidence in the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom come. The Franciscan priest and writer Albert Haas, in his book Living the Lord's Prayer, outlines four characteristics, four pointers that may help us to understand our gift of the Kingdom of God, that we may joyfully hold on to this gift, 
and that it may be reflected in the way we live our lives. First, it's for us to live in the awareness of God's love for us. Of this, Haas writes, experience of God's unconditional love for us changes our lives drastically. We no longer have the emotional need to prove ourselves, to gain the attention of others, or to make a name for ourselves. Our obsession with self-concern, self-image, and self-preservation, and self-gratification dissipates. In effect, God's love sets us free from the ego's stranglehold and gives us the freedom to respond with selfless acts of sacrificial love. Second, Haas encourages us to show love to others in a manner appropriate to our lifestyles. Here, the familiar words Paul writes in chapter 13 of his first letter to the Corinthians are helpful for us to remember and apply in our different circumstances. The chapter begins with the familiar words, I may speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but if I have no love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I may have the gift of prophecy and knowledge of every hidden truth. I may have faith enough to move mountains, but if I have no love, I am nothing. I may give all I possess to the needy. I may give my body to be burnt, but if I have no love, I gain nothing by it. Paul's sermon ends with the words, There are three things that last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of the three is love. A third characteristic to hold on to that prepares us and brings us closer to experiencing the treasures of the kingdom of heaven is for us to surrender ourselves to the present. The attitude that Mary, mother of Jesus, expressed at the Annunciation when she responded to the angel Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Of this quality, Albert Haas writes, Let people realize that all they have to do to achieve the heights of holiness is to do only what they are already doing, and endure what they are already enduring, and to realize, too, that all they count as trivial and worthless is what can make them holy. In other words, the kingdom of heaven comes and blossoms right here, right now, when we respond to what the present moment is asking of us. As Jesus' imagery suggests, it comes in the smallest and most ordinary ways of our lives. Maintaining inner peace and joy is another characteristic that identifies people who cherish the riches of the kingdom of heaven. In the midst of the most intense and destructive storms, such people still manage to maintain inner peace and calm. They are not naive, irresponsible, or living on another planet. They still experience disappointment and sorrow. However, they do not so identify with these feelings that they are consumed or destroyed by them. Theirs is the optimistic conviction of the Apostle Paul again, this time in words from his letter to the Romans. We know that all things work together for good and for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Also, 
For us to hold on to the conviction expressed by Julian of Norwich, the 14th century English mystic, that through Christ all will be well and every manner of things will be well. Amen. Amen.